Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is Intercepted. I'm Laura Flynn, supervising producer at The Intercept. At this point in the U.S., more than 50% of people have received at least one COVID-19 vaccine shot. While there are still hotspots in some parts of the country, the overall number of new infections and deaths are precipitously declining. After a fall and winter surge in hospitalizations and deaths in Los Angeles County, the region is now on track to vaccinate 80% of adults by the end of July. On Monday, the Food and Drug Administration authorized the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine for 12 to 15-year-olds, further expanding vaccine access in the U.S. However, worldwide infection rates are still rising in 30 countries. India and Brazil are reporting the most new infections each day. India has reported consecutive daily death tolls above 4,000 as hospitals run out of oxygen, beds, and life-saving drugs. This morning, India's healthcare system is completely overwhelmed as the country grapples with the world's largest COVID crisis. India's daily COVID-19 death toll has hit a record high, with more than 4,000 people succumbing to the virus in a single day. 4,187 deaths have been confirmed in the past 24 hours. This second wave of the coronavirus in India has also been breaking records for new infections. But scientists say the country's official numbers are almost certainly a vast undercount. From the beginning of the pandemic, Intercept investigative journalists Sharon Lerner and Lee Fong have reported on how efforts to maintain intellectual property rights from life-saving drugs to vaccines have hindered the global response. I spoke to them about the need for a global warp speed. Just as soon as COVID was coming down the pike and people around the world started realizing that we were heading into a true pandemic, the major pharmaceutical companies began gearing up to profit from that pandemic. It's been clear that a relatively small but very influential number of leaders on uh, Wall Street, uh, people who represent investors, have seen this as a golden opportunity. I'm Sharon Lerner. I'm an investigative reporter at The Intercept. I've been covering vaccine and, and COVID-related profiteering since the beginning of the pandemic. I'm Lee Fong. I'm a, an investigative reporter for The Intercept. I cover the confluence of money and politics. And like Sharon, I've been writing a lot about 
some of the corruption issues, some of the inequality issues that have arisen out of this uh, pandemic. So the big news last week is that Catherine Tai, the U.S. Trade Representative, issued a statement saying that the Biden administration is now supporting waiving IP protections for vaccines. The Biden administration surprised a lot of observers by coming out in favor of this waiver proposal proposed last year by a coalition of countries led by India and South Africa asking for a suspension, a temporary suspension of IP and patent enforcement on certain medications related to the COVID-19 pandemic, basically saying that corporations that own the IP or patent rights to vaccines, to therapeutics, to other medical treatments, there should be no enforcement so that other countries can allow their homegrown industries, uh, their pharmaceutical companies to produce generic vaccines and other medical products to end the pandemic as fast as possible. The Trump administration, not surprisingly, was against this, along with Brazil, the EU, Australia, several other countries that were opposing the TRIPS waiver. The basic importance of this waiver, which is only supposed to last during the pandemic, is that it can free up companies to make vaccines. And obviously, we still need that. The vast majority of the world isn't vaccinated, particularly the low-income countries where less than 1% of the population has been vaccinated. Right now, the way that wealthier countries, the U.S. and others, are confronting this crisis for the developing world is through voluntary agreements. The largest of such is an organization called COVAX. That's kind of an initiative chartered from a nonprofit founded by the Gates Foundation, by Bill Gates, called Gavi. It's also sanctioned through the World Health Organization. The COVAX pillar aims to ensure that every country gets fair and equitable access to eventual COVID-19 vaccines. It does this by acting as an insurance policy with the largest portfolio of vaccine candidates in the world. Wealthier countries have Basically, this is a voluntary effort where wealthier countries can donate their excess vaccines. Wealthy individuals and corporations can make donations to this group to make purchases of vaccines, and then those vaccines can be distributed on a not-for-profit or free basis to the developing world. And that's been kind of the international effort And so far, it's kind of fallen short. So right now, COVAX has delivered about 54 million doses, which is way better than not delivering 54 million doses. But it's nowhere near what the world needs. And their goal is really to reach some of it. It's not even designed to reach everybody. And it relies just simply on pharmaceutical companies cutting their own voluntary agreements with each country through COVAX or wealthier countries making voluntary donations. It can't force you know, the transfer of vaccines. It, it can't allow the transfer of technology to produce generics. It's really just kind of a, a gigantic charity effort that, although well-intentioned, has come um, incredibly short in terms of ending the pandemic. And that's where we're, we're at today, a question of do we continue 
the approach led by COVAX in getting the vaccine to the developing world? Or do we, we try some new approaches? Um, that, that's where the waiver comes in. Do we start leapfrogging the demands of these pharmaceutical companies and sharing the technology, sharing the formulas, getting more capacity out there so there can be more competition in this market and, and more vaccines to developing countries? head of the WHO tweeted that it was a monumental moment in the fight against COVID. It really is. Almost immediately, you saw the stock prices of vaccine makers tumble. Vaccine makers taking a hit in the last hour of trading after the Biden administration said it supports waiving patent protections for COVID vaccines. That would effectively hand over the secret recipe for these life-saving vaccines to other manufacturers, possibly in other countries, to make them. Shares of Pfizer, Moderna, Novavax. Moderna, Novavax, Pfizer, even the Chinese vaccine makers, their prices just started to fall. And you saw industry begin to freak out. Bio, which is a trade group that represents Moderna, Pfizer, and other large pharmaceutical companies, claim that this decision will act, quote, as a disincentive for companies to respond to the next pandemic. They've claimed that this is, um, you know, an unprecedented step that will decrease the ability for pharmaceutical companies to create innovative products in the future. And then they got even uglier and they started warning that this is going to undermine the global response to the pandemic and that it's dangerous. And this is echoing these arguments that the pharmaceutical industry has been making from the beginning about this, that it will destroy the intellectual property system, it's going to discourage innovation, and it's really dangerous because other countries and other companies don't have the capacity to do this safely. There are really two ways to combat this crisis. There's a way to do it in a sense that, that maximizes profit for the healthcare companies, the pharmaceutical companies. And then there's the more collaborative nonprofit approach that really brings people together and solves this crisis as fast as possible uh, in a collaborative way that brings government, corporations, and NGOs together at the same table. And early on, pharmaceutical companies uh, were fighting this more collaborative approach kind of tooth and nail. From the very beginning, there were plans to capitalize on the desperate need for medicines, for vaccines, for test kits, for protective gear. You know, we've reported very early on on banks pressuring healthcare distributors, healthcare companies uh, to raise prices on ventilators, on masks, on other kinds of uh, therapeutics used to treat people infected with this virus. So we saw members of the House begin to try to guard against this a year ago, February, so February 2020. Jan Schakowsky, who's a Democrat in the House. Last week, 45 of my colleagues and I sent a letter to President Trump. Uh, and what we were talking about is, are we going to be, have, be guaranteed an affordable treatments or um, uh, vaccines that are developed? We're concerned that private pharmaceutical companies may end up having a, a role in this and raising the cost beyond the point that people could well afford it. 
We absolutely share your passion around ensuring affordable access to medicines, but the private sector must have a role in this. We will not have a vaccine. We will not have therapeutics without the private sector candidates that they, that they and we will have to invest but in. We have paid for all- that request was opposed by many Republicans who actually opposed adding language to a House bill that you know would have made sure that there wasn't obscene profiting. And the final aid package, the coronavirus aid package that was passed, did leave out that language. Today, we're joining 37 countries and numerous partners to launch the COVID-19 Technology Access Pool, or CTAP. CTAP was first proposed by His Excellency President Carlos Alvarado of Costa Rica, Last year, the president of Costa Rica proposed a special idea and technology and patent sharing initiative uh, so that, you know, leading companies and scientists could all pitch in and share the latest vaccine and therapeutic technologies and research. uh, So as a global society, we could come up with the most efficient ways to treat this disease. Thank you, Dr. Tedros, my brother. In recent weeks, this joint effort has helped us to put together this call for solidarity and action to give us a platform so we can share openly on a voluntary basis and in a collaborative way the data and the intellectual property that will be generated throughout the world in order to make it a public global good. And as soon as that was proposed, a body that represents the international pharmaceutical industry, a lobbying body, immediately held a press conference and hosted the CEOs of major pharmaceutical companies and and really blasted this proposal, at least implicitly, saying that, you know, any effort to share this technology was, quote, nonsense and dangerous. That's the CEO of Pfizer, Albert Bula. Yes, I want to say that uh, I'm very respectful of the opinions of many people, of everyone. And uh, as such, I think I'm hearing all the people that are speaking about IP. But I have to say that at this point of time, uh, it's, I think is nonsense. And at this point of time, it's also dangerous. The CEO of AstraZeneca similarly attacked this effort and said, I think IP is a fundamental uh, part of, uh, of our industry. And if you don't uh, protect IP, then essentially there is no incentive for anybody to innovate. Now, what is important is that companies volunteer to uh, provide their products at no profit like we are doing right now in case of pandemic or crisis and when it's needed. So from a very early stage of this pandemic, uh, there's been a push and pull, uh, a push by investors and CEOs of, of healthcare companies, healthcare distributors, pharmaceutical companies to maximize profit during the course of this pandemic, and a pushback from um, countries and NGOs, activists and politicians to say, look, um, this unprecedented crisis requires an unprecedented level of collaboration and, and not this kind of typical profit seeking we've seen in the healthcare sector. The companies that are lobbying for this, we already know that Pfizer, who we just talked about, are on track to, I believe, make $24 billion in profits 2021 from the vaccine. And then you look at Moderna, which was almost entirely funded by the U.S. government, and they're also on track to make 
huge. I believe it's around 18 billion this year. It is for the dedication of these noble buildings to the service of man that we are assembled here today. The National Institute of Health speaks the universal language of humanitarianism. When a product gets made, there are lots of stages of development, and often at the very early stages and sometimes throughout its development, that science is funded by the National Institutes of Health. And, you know, government funding is a big spark for research. And so all the vaccines have some U.S.-funded science in them. Taxpayers have provided nearly $10 billion to Operation Warp Speed, but have no knowledge of how these uh, resources are being spent. For the uh, companies uh, receiving taxpayer funding for your vaccines, have any of your contracts or agreements with the federal government included pro provisions to ensure affordability uh, in pricing or vaccines uh, and affordable um, uh, pricing of vaccines or treatments? Uh, let me start again with Dr. Hogue about the agreements. What's in them? Uh, no, they don't. We don't have a supply agreement with the U.S. government, Congresswoman. Um, we have a research and development agreement. Even though we pay for this development and some, you know, either it's a portion or all of it, the American taxpayers don't go on to own the product or hold the patent to the product. What the U.S. does is fund it, and then the companies often go on to have these exclusive ownership with patents. That publicly funded science, through a law called the Bayh-Dole Act, is then transferred to pharmaceutical companies. The act establishes the rules of the road governing patient or patent rights when the federal government and private entities participate in joint research that produces patentable inventions. This law basically codified this rapid transfer of publicly funded technology, publicly funded science into commercial monopoly rights for private industry. And, you know, one kind of failsafe for this law so it doesn't get exploited by private industry, was this provision basically allowing margin rights, is, is what they're known, basically saying uh, if, if a company is exploiting a pharmaceutical product that was financed by the taxpayer, the government has a right to march in and then revoke that license and then issue it to a competitor, you know, allow, you know, another firm to, to use that technology, create a generic or a competing product. One kind of wrinkle here is that the pharmaceutical companies have really pushed back against any effort to use margin rights to kind of invoke this provision of the Bayh-Dole Act. And in a twilight kind of maneuver, as the Trump administration was leaving office in early January 2021, they issued a new rule basically revoking and redefining that one provision of the Bayh-Dole Act, allowing uh, the government to march in and set prices. So this was a kind of a a goodbye, farewell, uh, wet kiss from the Trump administration to uh, the pharmaceutical industry. Pharmaceutical companies defend their right to profit and to fend off margin rights and also the use of another provision under the law, Section 1498, which is similar. It allows the government to take over in these kinds of cases. And what they say is that they need exclusivity because 
that's how they innovate, right? That it wouldn't, you know, that they're not going to do this critical life-saving work unless they're, they can profit from it and, and reap the benefits. You know, what's interesting about this debate is that what the pharmaceutical industry has always argued is that they're doing the research and development. They're putting up the risk, so to speak, you know, raising money from investors. So, of course, they should have monopoly rights on the price and the distribution of these drugs so that they can reap a profit and then pay back their investors after taking this risk. But what's interesting about Operation Warp Speed, this program approved by Congress and, you know, initially managed by the Trump administration, awarding something like 10, and then they increased it to something like $18 billion of money to fund uh, the development of therapeutics and vaccines and to expedite that process to solve the pandemic, is that here's the taxpayer taking all the risk and providing the public money for the research, the development, the clinical trials, even the pre-purchases of these vaccines. Its objective is to finish developing and then to manufacture and distribute a proven coronavirus vaccine as fast as possible. Again, we'd love to- The pharmaceutical industry, despite, you know, not having to, to do the, the type of risk-taking that, that typical business people or, you know, corporations have to do, they're saying that they still deserve those monopoly rights on the pricing, the distribution of this product that was guaranteed by the taxpayer, by the tr- U.S. Treasury. Maybe we could be solving you know, cancer or, you know, other kind of public health issues by just having many operation warp speeds, just putting up the public money, uh, taking the public risk, and then solving these problems, and then perhaps maybe adjusting the rights then given to the pharmaceutical companies, forcing these, these medicines to be at, at lower price and, and more public access. Right after the announcement came, AOC had this great tweet that was a screenshot of the falling vaccine maker prices, stock prices, and it said, let's do insulin next. There is no difference in the ethics, right? It is equally horrific that companies are using their exclusive protections to set exorbitant prices for other life-saving drugs. I think we need to remember what happens with those exorbitant profits, right? So some of it goes into executive compensation and bonuses and to stock dividends, but some of it goes right back into lobbying, right? And the pharmaceutical industry spends more on lobbying than any other sector. And that lobbying is used to perpetuate this very system. The exclusivity of drugs, which is what they're fighting for, right? These exclusive protections is inextricable from the obscene prices. And it is inextricable from the fact that these drugs don't get to the people that need them. This is a problem that needs to be addressed not just right now and not just temporarily, which is how the TRIPS waiver does it, but in the longer term. It's also a problem for people to die from treatable conditions or preventable conditions when it's not COVID. You know, going into the pandemic, pre-pandemic in 2019, opinion polls pretty consistently showed 
that the pharmaceutical industry was the most unpopular industry in America, ranking below the oil industry, um, below automakers, you know, below some of these other companies that have been criticized in the past. And this pandemic has has been used by lobbyists representing the industry to really reposition the industry as, you know, this global leader that cares about human health, that is not putting profits first, it's putting the people first. If you turn on CNN or MSNBC, you see these reputation ads. They don't actually sell a product, but they're sponsored by the industry and their lobbyists to try to increase public opinion and discourage further regulation. Uh, You know, they've got uh, people in lab coats, you know, pouring beakers (laughs) and uh, vials on on conveyor belts. They say, oh, look, the pharmaceutical industry is doing everything they can to fight this pandemic. We care about the American people. While you do your part to beat coronavirus, America's biopharmaceutical companies are working around the clock to do ours, testing existing medicines, developing new treatments and vaccines, and collaborating with the FDA, NIH, and CDC. We're working with doctors and hospitals on over 235 clinical trials and ramping up production capabilities to ensure these medicines are available. Because science is how we get back to normal. They're really utilizing this pandemic to to reposition themselves as totally concerned about public health, and, and they're not an industry that puts profit over people. Meanwhile, behind closed doors, Uh, The pharmaceutical industry has mobilized an army of lobbyists, uh, poured massive amounts of dark money into the last election to ensure that they can really capitalize on this pandemic and make the most money possible. And early in the Biden administration, we saw a little peak of this. The U.S. trade representative, that's the kind of sub-cabinet or cabinet level position that represents the American government in these trade negotiations, the pharmaceutical industry and its allies submitted proposals submitted comments basically to this office saying, hey, Biden administration, when you set your trade priorities for the year, what you should do is not only oppose any effort to to provide a waiver for IP or or patent enforcement around vaccines or or therapeutics to solve the crisis. In fact, you should actually punish any country (laughs) that produces a generic that you should go out and, and, and provide trade related sanctions and go after countries. We have had more than 3 million deaths already from COVID around the world. And here in the U.S., we already have more than enough vaccine, right? Anyone who's an adult can already get it if they want it. Um, And so far, more than half of the U.S. population has had at least one dose of the vaccine. But around the world, it's totally different. Um, Less then 1% of the populations of low-income countries have been vaccinated. What I think has been compelling to many people in the U.S. and in the pharmaceutical industry is that that's not just not viable for those people, but it's also ultimately going to come back and bite wealthier countries in the butt, too, because... That's how variants are going to come back. That's none of us are going to be safe until all of us are safe. And you see that as the pandemic is allowed to go on, people are going to die in huge numbers in developing countries. But it's also going to mean that the pandemic keeps going everywhere. What's undergirding all of this policymaking, all this debate around the waiver is the potential for massive profits. The 
pharmaceutical companies, despite again their public posture of, of you know, donating vaccines and, and and working to save the world, you know, privately with their investors have been incredibly clear about how they plan to hike prices when the opportunity presents itself. Uh, if, you, if you listen to these recent investor calls from Johnson and Johnson, Moderna, Pfizer, uh, they've spoken to um, you know banks and other investors and said uh, they're hoping to make uh, lots of money from these vaccines. If you look at how current demand and current pricing is being driven, it's clearly not being driven by what I'll call normal market conditions, normal market forces. It's really been driven by kind of the pandemic state that we've been in and the needs of governments to really secure doses from the various vaccine suppliers. So what we believe, what I believe is, is we move from a pandemic state, from a pandemic situation to an endemic situation. Normal market forces, normal market conditions will start to kick in. Right now, they're selling the vaccine, at least in the U.S., at a deeply discounted price. They're concerned about the optics around increasing the price, but when the time comes, they plan to dramatically commercialize this product. And right now, many of the, the vaccines are sold, you know, reimbursed by the government, but sold between 20 and $40. That's much lower than the list price of, for example, the flu vaccine, which is closer to 170 or $200. Even with the deeply discounted prices, Pfizer is, is taking their vaccine and basically made it one of the highest grossing pharmaceutical products of all time. I mean, as Sharon mentioned earlier, they're making record profits from the vaccine, and that's at the lower price. The pharmaceutical companies, in addition, have said they plan to increase prices once the pandemic, quote unquote, ends. But as Johnson & Johnson told investors recently, they get to determine the end of the pandemic. They get to just simply unilaterally declare the pandemic over and increase prices. AstraZeneca, a similar situation, there were leaked documents showing that, you know, AstraZeneca has promised to sell the vaccine at a not-for-profit basis during the pandemic, but these leaked documents show that they get to declare the end of the pandemic as early as July 1st of this year. So these companies are eagerly awaiting the opportunity to increase prices. They are fighting every effort to allow competitors to open, to enter the field, you know, the production of generic vaccines. Uh, and that's why they're fighting this TRIPS waiver. We easily could have seen Biden go another way. And I think a lot of people expected that. That said, it's this incremental step, right? So we see that we've committed to waiving intellectual property protections for vaccines in a temporary way, right? Beyond that, we're going to need investment. There needs to be an effort to increase capacity, to share technology, to share manufacturing know-how so that generic vaccines are produced very quickly. I mean, there's some talk that these mRNA vaccines could be produced and factories could be retrofitted very quickly to to produce them. And uh, we need kind of global leadership, whether it's Biden or others leaning on these companies or Congress passing new laws that compel them to share the manufacturing know-how. So I think it's the time to ramp up pressure. And it's such an opportunity for the world and for the U.S to do good. It's a rare opportunity, right? This is actually a really solvable problem, making enough vaccine. We know how to do it now. 
and we have the money, right? So now we just have to do it. Yes, there are wrinkles to be figured out and we're ironing them out, but let's go, you know, here we go. That's The Intercept's investigative journalists, Sharon Lerner and Lee Fong. And that does it for this episode of Intercepted. You can follow us on Twitter at Intercepted and on Instagram at Intercepted Podcast. Intercepted is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our lead producer is Jack Desidoro. Supervising producer is me, Laura Flynn. Betsy Reed is editor-in-chief of The Intercept. Rick Kwan mixed our show. Our theme music, as always, was composed by DJ Spooky. Until next time. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 